This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. Well, yesterday when I got a text from Damien telling me I'd be on deck to preach this morning, uh, I knelt down and I asked the Lord that he'd give me a good sermon for the people of New City. And then I got up and I Googled, good sermon on Psalm 1. Uh, Google is common grace, and so that's what you're getting this morning. So here we go. Now this time of year, the buzz that we all hear is about resolutions and habits and goals, right? It's all about becoming the best you. New year, new you, right? And, and this is all of us, right? We're all pursuing greater physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, financial well-being. We're committing to that at the beginning of the year. It doesn't matter what your spirituality is or what your worldview is. This year, at the beginning of 2018, most of us are reordering and reorienting our lives in pursuit of the good life. However we might define that, the, the good life is what you, when you imagine yourself where your wildest dreams are realized, when you imagine where all is well in the world, when you see that you are right where you want to be, that is your vision of the good life. And so Psalm 1, our text for today, begins with this word blessed, blessed. It could also be translated happy. But the word blessed kind of has this sense of, of, a, of amount of joy, a goodness and joy, a contentment and abundance. It, it is the good life as God would have it. And so Psalm 1 is a reflection on how to truly live the good life. So God handcrafted you for happiness. He created you and me and all of us to have a vision of what the good life would really look like when we're truly happy, truly satisfied. We just disagree on where this blessedness, where this happiness, where this good life is to be found. Blaise Pascal, philosopher, mathematician, you may know him from uh, the Pascal's Triangle, right? And, And this is what he says. Quote, all people seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend toward this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This you could say the pursuit of happiness is the motive of every action of every person, even of those who hang themselves. What Pascal is saying is that everyone, everywhere, does everything in pursuit of their vision of the good life. And the Bible recognizes this. 
but it also acknowledges that there are innumerable pitfalls on that path. And so we have Psalm 1 here to show you and I how to cultivate the most satisfying, lasting happiness. Psalm 1 is all about how we pursue the good life. And so to that end, we're going to see in Psalm 1 two directions, two depictions, and two destinations. Okay, so we're going to see in verses 1 and 2, two directions. In verses 3 and 4, we're going to see two depictions. And then verses 5 and 6, we're going to see two destinations. If you would, get your worship folder or open up your Bible to Psalm 1, and we're going to look at this text together. The worship folder is actually missing the last two verses. So if you need to open up your phone or your Bible, that would, that would be fine. Two directions, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So verses 1 and 2 put out these two fundamentally different paths, these two fundamentally different visions of the good life. You have the way of the world on one hand, and you have the way of the word on the other hand. And these are fundamentally different and opposed to one another. The scriptures are constantly reminding us that there's no neutrality in life, that there's no such thing as coasting in following Jesus. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be conformed or be transformed. Those verbs are in the present tense, which means that they're in an ongoing way. In other words, you could put it like this. You're either being conformed or you're being transformed, but there's no middle ground. And this is what Psalm 1 is picking up on. It's identifying the fact that life in this world is a stream, and you're either swimming against the current or you're being swept up by it. That's it. No other option. And so Psalm 1 sets before us two different ways. Now just think for a moment. Imagine the billions of dollars that are spent by very psychologically aware marketers to get you to conform your vision of the good life to include their product. Constantly shaping us, constantly forming us, constantly directing us towards a vision of the good life that fattens their pockets. This is what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the way of the world. And so all of us have a vision of the good life. But because of these countless influences, our vision of the good life, are not, those visions are not equally good. I remember when I was a freshman in high school. I can look at pictures of me going to homecoming. And at that time of my life, I was about five foot. I was about five foot. And so uh, my life... Uh, I remember this homecoming picture where my poor average-sized date towered over me in this photo. And, and at that point in my life, the vision of the good life for me was to be tall. If I could have anything, it was just to be taller. Fast forward to my junior year of high school, I moved from Detroit, Michigan to St. Petersburg, Florida. And now I know my vision of the good life is to be a surfer. 
right? I've, I, there's not beaches in Michigan like there are here in Florida. And so I moved to the beach, and the first thing I do is I buy a whole new wardrobe of Quicksilver and Hurley, and, and I go and get flip-flops and board shorts, and I grow up my hair and maybe highlight it. And, and I get this whole image shaped around this vision that the good life is going to be when I am a surfer. And even now, I feel this temptation to be pulled that the direction of the good life for me is wherever I find significance, where everyone, where anyone would ever acknowledge worth in me. That's the direction, the good life. And so hear this, the way of the world is risky. The way of the world is dangerous because it's always shifting and changing. The way of the world is always just beyond our grasp. The way of the world is not honest about the outcomes. It promises more than it can deliver. In a recent documentary, actor Jim Carrey, he was describing that his whole life had been geared towards making it. And he said that there was this transition that happened where he didn't have that, that striving anymore. And the interviewer asked him, what, what, what happened? Where did that transition occur? And this is what Jim Carrey said. Somewhere in the middle of absolute confusion and absolute disappointment. The fruition of all of my dreams, standing there with everything anybody else had ever dreamed about having and being unhappy. Did you catch that? Jim Carrey said that he relentlessly pursued his vision of the good life and he attained it. But when he got there, he realized he was misled. He realized that he had been deceived. He realized he had given himself to something that in the end was futility. Elsewhere, he says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. What is the answer? Well, Psalm 1 contrasts the way of the world with the way of the word. And so look with me at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, verse 1 and verse 2 are asking this question, who are you going to listen to? Whose opinion is going to hold sway? Which perspective are you going to privilege? Who's going to influence? Who's going to shape your view of yourself, of your neighbor, of your world, of your God? Is it the way of the world or is it the way of the word? You choose. And so in verse 1, we see that it's the counsel, the way, the seat, which back then was where deliberations and decisions were made. This is contrasted with the law, or or even better, the instruction of the Lord in verse 2. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one of our governing documents in our denomination, question 2 reads like this. The answer says, The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. The catechism is saying that the scriptures teach us how to live the good life as God intends. You see, it's because God made you. He he designed you. He handcrafted you. And so he knows how you work. He knows what makes you tick. And so the instruction of the Lord is him helping you, basically an owner's manual on the life that he's called you to live. 
How do you live in, in grain with your nature? And the Lord knows that there's a way that seems right, but that in the end leads to death. And so he's lovingly leading us, you and me, through the scriptures towards life. The Bible contains God's guidance, God's instruction, God's direction for how we can live the only truly good life. So how do we walk in the way of the word? How do we walk in the way of the word? I'm glad you asked the question. Psalm 1 shows us three traits, three traits. The first one is that we delight. The next one is that we meditate. And the third one is that we do this rhythmically. So here's the three traits, delight, meditate, and rhythm. First one, delight. He delights in the law of the Lord. Listen to how the psalmist elsewhere speaks about the law. Psalm 119, 97, he says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 19, verse 10 says, It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Why is the psalmist head over heels for the law? I found some help from C.S. Lewis on this. Uh, the great author and, and literary critic, he says this, their delight in the law is a delight in having touched firmness. Like the pedestrian's delight in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled him in muddy fields. So around our dinner table in my family, there's this story that's retold countless times. And it's of me when I was a four-year-old. And when I was four, uh, my mom was drawing a bath for me, and, and she said, Ben, do not touch the water, it's hot. And then she walked out, full well knowing the son that she had, that I would stick my toe in just to see for myself. So sure enough, she walks around the corner, and she looks in the mirror so she can still see me, and, and apparently, I reach in with my toe, dip it in the water, and shout an expletive. And, and this is... <laughs> This is me. This is my life has been hard to, hard to change. I learned things the hard way, and maybe you are like me in that. And, and what C.S. Lewis is saying is that the beauty of the law, the delightfulness of the law, is that it's, it's firmness. So some of us, the only way for us to delight in the law is for us to tramp around through the muck and the mire until we're so entangled, so exhausted, so tired from striving after the way of the world to where we come back and we realize the firmness that is the way of the word. For some of us, only then will we actually delight in the law of the Lord. Because the law of the Lord directs us on this way, the only true and beautiful vision of the good life. And we're going to see that delight in the law of the Lord, savoring the scriptures only happens when we see the goodness and the beauty and the truth that it reveals. But we'll get there later. Second, we meditate. His delight is in the law of the Lord on which he meditates. And this word meditate is kind of like a, a murmur with rumbling pleasure. The pastor, Eugene Peterson, comments on this word like this. He says this, Isaiah used this word, meditate, for the sounds that a lion makes over its prey. 
A lion over its catch and a person over the law act similarly. They purr and growl in pleasurable anticipation of taking in what will make them more themselves, strong and swift. See, meditation is like a dog with its bone or like some of us with barbecue wings. There's this sense in which we turn over and over, savoring every last morsel until the bone has been licked clean. That's what meditation is like. Consider this. I really think that we all meditate all the time. I think that the the insight of Psalm 1 is that we all meditate on whatever we delight in. So in one way, you don't really need to be taught how to meditate because you're already doing it. I think this is the genius, actually, of Instagram. I think Instagram has created men and women worldwide meditating day and night. So I want to pose a question to you. Consider the content of your meditation over the past 24 hours. What has your mind mulled over? What have you found yourself drifting towards in preoccupation? And then this is the question I want to ask you. If you were to repeat those 24 hours every day for the next 10 years, what kind of person would you become? What kind of person would you be becoming over the next 10 years if the content of your meditation was what it has been for the last 24 hours? Because you're already meditating. It's just whether or not you're meditating in the way of the world or in the way of the word. No neutral ground. The third thing, the third trait of what it looks like to walk in the way of the word is this. It's rhythm. Rhythm. Verse 2 says, on his law, he meditates day and night. There's this rhythmic nature to ingesting the scriptures that's as constant as, and consistent as the sun rising and the sun setting. And so in sunup, sundown, the blessed man or woman is meditating on the law of the Lord. Now, in biblical poetry, day and night is what is a figure of speech which is called a merism. And what that is, is it's basically when you take a whole and you just describe it by a few of its parts. In other words, when Psalm 1 says day and night, it doesn't mean that you would just meditate on the scriptures in the morning and in the evening. In fact, it's the bookends that contain the whole of the day. And so the vision that Psalm 1 has for the blessed man, the blessed woman, is that you would be meditating when you sit in your house and when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise up and when you eat and when you work and when you put your baby down for a nap and when you do yard work and when you clean the dishes, that we would be people that our whole lives would be consumed with a practice of meditation on the law of the Lord. Listen, I already said this, but you're most likely already meditating during these times already. And so you have the choice to make, is it going to be on the law of the Lord or is it going to be on your anxieties and your fears and what other, other preoccupations so easily grab for our attention? Personally, I don't know how to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night without committing it to heart, without learning the scriptures by memory. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this, there is no better way to meditate on a verse and draw out all the aspects, implications, and richness of its meaning than to memorize it. As a church, we've always valued delightful, rhythmic meditation on Scripture. 
This is the goal of CBR, of community Bible reading. And so I want to call you and myself to, to this year to get a journal, to get a friend, somebody who you can text every single morning to share insights, to, to ask them what they've seen in the text, to, to talk about what meditation has looked like for you. Set a time, set a place, make it happen this year that we would be those who are so seeped, so steeped in the word of God that we would be walking in the way of the word rather than the way of the world. And so as a church, we would be pursuing this vision of the good life together. And as our delight leads to a rhythmic meditation on the Bible, our vision of the good life will be shaped and aligned by God's vision of the good life. Now, what will be the results? What will be the fruit of following the way of the word versus the way of the world? The second point here is there are two depictions. The next two points are going to be shorter than the first, but there's two depictions, and we'll see this in verses three and four. The two depictions are this. You can either be rooted in the water or rustling in the wind. Rooted in the water or rustling in the wind. So I love the Bible because it recognizes that we are creative creatures, that we have wonderful imaginations. And so as we meditate on Psalm 1, as we soak and sanctify our imaginations in this text, it directs us towards the way of the word. And so look at verse 3 with me. It shows us this image of a tree rooted in water. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, early in college, I studied marine biology and I had this class called Field Biology of Florida and we had to buy one of those Autobahn field guides. Some of y'all are nerds like me, and you know what that is. And, and of all the books I had in my college career, that's the only one that I saved. Because I'll just, I love going outside and, and flipping through it and trying to identify plants and stuff, and super nerdy. But anyways, in Florida, we have a cypress tree. A couple different kinds of them. Uh, you didn't care about that, but we have a cypress tree. And, and the, the thing about a cypress tree is you all would recognize it because it's that tree that's rooted and it puts up those knees, those little stumps everywhere. And usually you'll find them rooted by streams of water. What's amazing about cypress tree is that they can live for centuries. And not only that, they have this ability to endure fire. Because of how their roots are so near to water and they're so saturated in the water that they draw up into their trunk and into their their limbs, these trees can endure fire. And so similarly, the one who walks in the way of the word is able to endure difficulties and trials, the fire of everyday life, because they have sunk their roots so deep into the scriptures where God has promised his life-giving waters to be found. That's the vision of Psalm 1. And it's contrasted in verse 4 with another image. Verse 4 talks about chaff that's rustling in the wind. Look with me at it. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So chaff, back then when they would uh, separate the grain, basically what they do is they take like a pitchfork or something like that, and they'd, they'd throw it up in the air, and the husk that was worthless, that was light, would just be swept away by the wind. That was the chaff, whereas the grain, the kernel, the seed would fall down, and they'd be able to use that. And so this dry, this weightless, this, this 
irritating substance that would just float away in the wind is the comparison that's being drawn in following the way of the world. But why is it that the way of the world is described like chaff? Because he's not rooted in anything but the opinions of the people around him. The way of the world is, is the one who hops from trend to trend and, and is always seeking something else that fits. The way of the world is the man who longs to be rooted in something with no substance. It's when she seeks life where it cannot be found. In 2005, Tom Brady was interviewed after he won his third Super Bowl. Just pause for a moment. By all the world's standards, Tom Brady has arrived, right? I mean, the man is wealthy, he's handsome, he's successful, he's got a supermodel wife, he's athletic, he's the winningest quarterback in the history of all Super Bowls. This man, by all the world's standards, has arrived, has attained the vision of the good life. And listen to what he says in this interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. But I reached my goal, my dream, my life, and I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And the interviewer replied to him, he said, so what's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady is feeling what it's like to chase after a vision of the good life that in the end is meaningless, vanity, chaff. And he's captured by the fact that he's been investing his existence in something that was worthless. But hear me, it is God's mercy to people like Tom Brady and Jim Carrey that they're recognizing this in the here and now. Their disappointment, their disillusionment is actually a good thing for them. And some of you, some of you have been following the way of the world for so long, but you have not yet arrived. And so you're still not willing to acknowledge that this is a worthless pursuit. And some of you have tasted the bitterness of the way of the world, but you don't know any other options. So I want to look with you at how Psalm 1 describes the destination towards which we are all heading and the hope that it gives to each one of us. So look with me at verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we finally have two destinations. You can either be nothing or you can be known. You can be nothing or you can be known. These are the consequences of the directions that we choose. So here it comes down. The way of the world and the way of the word are these diverting paths that lead to two separate destinations. And Psalm 1 is loving us here. It's showing us where they both end up. So what's the difference? Well, verse 6 puts it succinctly. It says this, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
The way of the world results in perishing. That word could be translated vanishing, to, be, to go away, to become nothing. But I think this last word of Psalm 1 is helpful and best seen in contrast with the first word of Psalm 1. The opposite of living blessedly is to perish. The opposite of perishing is to be blessed. And now you see the two directions that that result in these two destinations of being known in a blessed way or perishing and becoming nothing. And so the opposite of perishing is blessedness. But if we're all honest, if we're all self-aware enough, we all know that we've walked in the way of the world. We all know that we've heeded the counsel of the wicked and lived our lives directing them devoid of the counsel of God. We all know that we've more than stood in the way of sinners. We ourselves are sinners. We all know that we have sat in the seat of the scoffer, cynically judging others from our lofty perch. And Psalm 1 verse 6 says that the result is that we all should perish. But look with me again at verse 1. Verse 1 says, blessed is the man. This whole psalm is about a masculine singular, the man. And so there's, there's really only one man who has never stepped off the way of the word, who has always forsaken the way of the world. There's only been one man who is not swayed by the counsel of the wicked, but always delighted in the law of the Lord with his whole heart. He's the most rooted, fruitful, evergreen, and prosperous man that has ever lived. He's always been deeply and intimately known by his Father for all eternity. Jesus said in John 4, My food, my satisfaction, my delight is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So we see that Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1 who walked perfectly in the way of the word, who came to follow the instruction of the Lord perfectly to accomplish his work. But the work that the one who sent him, the one who sent Jesus to do, was that he would perish so that you could be blessed. Jesus did not stand in the judgment, but hung on the cross with the wicked. Jesus became nothing so that you could be known. This is the good news of Psalm 1. And Jesus was raised to life and now stands as Lord over all things. And he calls us to follow him, to walk in his ways, in his words. And we delight to meditate on the law of Jesus day and night because we find him there. The portrait of Jesus is found in these pages. And so as we seek the good life, we realize that it's found in seeking him above all else. We will not be disappointed. We will not be disillusioned when we see him face to face. And so with that in mind, let us be those who delight in and meditate on the scriptures in 2018 so that we might see and savor Jesus together. And with that, let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
I pray that we would forsake the way of the world and seek after the way of the word, that we would redefine our vision of the good life in light of what you've said it to be. I pray that we would be drawn to Jesus, the blessed man, the one who promises life in him. I pray that for all of us as a church, that we would put our roots deeply into the life-giving word that is Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.